Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com. Save on Foods Parksville. Shop for groceries from the comfort of your living room. Let the Save on Foods team do the shopping for you with free curbside pickup from Save on Foods. It's that easy. Download the new Save on Foods app today. Welcome to PQ Beat, a podcast of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News, the newspaper of record, both online and in print, for Parksville Qualicum Beach and the surrounding communities. Visit us online at pqbnews.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Philip Wolf, editor of the PQB News and BI Free Daily. As we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the industries and or activities that actually fared well was the golf industry. The ability to be outside and active and still safe made golf a very popular choice. So here today to talk about the industry and offer some timely tips, we're proud to welcome back our own in-house golf expert. Thanks for joining us, Bill Flower. Thank you very much, Philip. Peter, nice seeing you again. So how did you manage to keep up your own game during the pandemic? Have you seen me play, Philip? I have not. (laughs) I'm like every golfer out there. One day it's a 91, the next day it's a 78. I'm not talking Fahrenheit. It's just the way the game is. (laughs) But you may or may not be aware that through the winter, I taught golf other than one minor break in December because of the COVID protocol out at Arbutus Meadows. Had about 75 students through the winter. And that afforded me some time to actually indoors work on my own swing. So it kind of kept my game up. But I'm kind of like a, a weekend golfer. When you see me, I might hit a really great drive and I might chunk one next to the green. That's just sort of the nature of the sport. So, For regular golfers, isn't it the five or six amazing shots that you hit every round that keep you coming back? Well, I think it's, uh, I'll give you a perfect example on the 100 Fahrenheit 38 degree day we had two days ago. I decided to tee off at the hottest place time of the day out at Morningstar and I was going to shoot probably in the hundreds and I'm an eight handicap the heat had beaten us down well what brought me back I birdied the last hole probably (laughs) the hardest par four on the course so again that's what brings you back is that good final hole I think a lot of people go you know I gotta come back I gotta come back so yeah for me it was always the ability to compartmentalize if you shot a 90 but, you know, you made one eagle or something like that. Oh, yeah, I'll be back. It's, that's always what used to draw me back. So. Well, I think what's very important for most golfers is, and it might even be a life lesson, is to set very reasonable goals and expectations when you play golf. You know, you may have shot that one magical round in your life, but to wake up every day attempting to repeat that and then being disappointed if you don't, you become very bitter and fade away from the games. I was kind of like that when I was younger. I'd had a few pretty stellar rounds. I had a 67 one time and then thought forever I could shoot in the 60s and may have done it four or five more times. And when I head to the golf course now, my wife Myra and I, both avid golfers, I have a goal. I want to make one birdie. I could make 17 quadruple bogeys, but if I get a birdie, I can hang on that all evening. I'll dream about it when I'm going to sleep, and I'll think about it when I'm getting ready for my next round. So uh, that's a bit of advice, really, sort of from the mental aspect of golf is set you know, reasonable expectations. If you're not out 
practicing three hours a day. Don't expect to work all week and on Saturday have 10 practice shots and shoot your best round of your life. It, it won't serve you well. For me, the reasonable expectation is taking money from my buddies. Is that just sneaking into their wallet when they're not looking or legitimately <laughs> winning the money? <laughs> it's, it's knowing who to golf with. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice any interesting trends that may have emerged in the last year and a half or so? Well, I think there's quite a few trends. I mean, I could sort of just pick one and we could have a bit of a laugh about it. But the one thing I've noticed, which is more prevalent than I've ever experienced in golf, and this is outside of, you know, the fact that there's this great increase in numbers due to the pandemic. Uh, Golf is up anywhere, depending on whose stats you read, but it wouldn't be unreasonable to suggest golf is up about 30%. Revenue, participation, uh, club sales, lessons, all of the things that are byproducts of people playing have increased. But the one thing I noticed, and it's not the most important thing, that you would have never seen years ago or heard, I should say, is people playing golf with Bluetooth speakers or boom boxes on their power carts. (laughs) mixing the rock concert mentality in with the game that was at one time, I think it was called, the golf was known as the quiet game. You're supposed to stand still, be quiet, let that person focus. Now, if you're on a golf course with no separation between two fairways, you can hear ACDC from two holes away, and you're trying to concentrate on a sand shot, and you're thinking of that party you were at when you were a teenager. (laughs) So that is a trend. There's articles now constantly being written about it. Companies are producing and selling these bespoke golf speakers that also tell you your yardage. So you got a GPS rock concert (laughs) on your golf cart or in your golf bag. I always thought there should be noise. Like right. any other sport, at baseball, you're focusing and there's people yelling. Is it the 17th hole at the Phoenix Open where they used to have the really loud spectators? Yeah, 16, the 16? par three, yeah. I just, there was, yeah, there was a hole like that where it was just, it was just a zoo. I always enjoyed that. Oh, you know, it I, still is. It's now got the uh, corporate sky boxes and it's this 16,000 seat. It, it holds the same amount as a regulation NHL arena for golf. And the players, I've been to five Phoenix Opens back in the 90s when there was no stands, but there was a big hill to the right of the tee box, and all the ASU, Arizona State University students, would come out en masse, because that was Phil Mickelson's alma mater, and they would be up there next to the Budweiser beer tent, rolling down the hill, too many beers (laughs) on a hot sunny day, and it was allowed because the players knew Phoenix was what was called the best party on tour. The nightlife in Scottsdale is phenomenal. The restaurants are great. The weather's obviously spectacular. Well, you know, corporate America jumped on board, and I believe waste management sponsors that now two-tiered amphitheater, which you have to pre-buy a ticket, so now you're buying a seat. When you go to a regulation PGA golf tournament, you buy a ticket to enter, you walk and sit pretty well anywhere other than dedicated little areas. But that's no ticket, no get in. So, yeah, they've upped it to that almost World Series final Super Bowl kind of mentality. But the Americans like that in sports. They like loud and, you know, sometimes overly obnoxious. You'd never see that at the British Open. I no. mean, you wouldn't see it. The heritage of the game would state that this isn't WWF with a golf ball. Is that a way perhaps to draw more young people in, though, to make it a little bit more exciting along those ways, or are you a hardcore traditionalist? Well, I'm a traditionalist. I mean, I lived in St. Andrews. I've played 10 of the top 
20 Lynx golf courses in the world. I, I love golf that's on flat ground, no trees, no bushes, lots of pot bunkers. We live in a world of big pine trees and we play in forests and that's just the nature of our topography. But I think there's a place for it as long as people realize this is what the event is. The players know when they come to Phoenix, they're not saying shh to the crowd. If you've watched it, they're doing the pump up the arm thing. They're throwing Nerf footballs. I mean, they're, they're having a blast. And they really couldn't care if they made a two or a five. That's that's their time to just kind of drop their guard and be the person they are, maybe away from the golf course. So I don't mind it, but I don't want to see it become a fixture at every golf event. There's enough needy people yelling Baba Booey and <laughs> Cheeseburger and whatever those things mean in golf. I can't relate to them. Yeah. And, and, and it's really nice when I watch golf at home, I have a mute button. And a nice little stereo where I can listen to some cool music. And I'm just a visual watcher. I don't really take away a lot of the commentary and enjoy it. It it has its place, but, you know, selective crowd control would be good. What's the most exciting live event you ever watched in terms of golf? Well, I covered the President's Cup in Melbourne, Australia for uh, a Canadian newspaper. That was extremely exciting. Probably the singular most exciting event I've ever been at was the 2000 and... Somebody's going to look it up and go, no, you weren't there. It's either 2004 or 2006. I think it's 2004, the uh, Open at Royal Troon. I was fortunate enough to meet one of the uh, very upper volunteer members who was in charge of the Rules Committee, and he invited me to come to the final round as his guest. And Todd Hamilton and Ernie Els went to a playoff Todd Hamilton won the playoff, and while the playoff was underway, Lee Westwood was sitting not four feet from me, as close as you guys are to me. And I said to him, Lee, what do you think? And he says, oh, I'll take the American. And I said, no, I got to take Ernie. He goes, 20 pounds or 20 quid? And I said, yeah. And about 35 minutes later, I handed Lee Westwood a 20-pound note (laughs) and with my tail between my legs and a few members laughing at this Canadian who thought he knew better than Lee Westwood, the very noted British pro. But that was, to see a playoff was incredible. And Todd Hamilton's caddy with the claret jug in his hand was at the exit door. And I walked out with a colleague of mine and stood right next to him and the claret jug was no farther away than my little water jug was for me right here. So that was probably the most exciting event I've been at as far as golf goes. Uh, we've seen some remarkably hot temperatures lately. Do you have any tips for playing in the heat? Gosh, I could give you lots of tips, and I'll tell you why I know this. My dad was a military man, and he served the first three years of his career in the late 1940s in Kibrit, Egypt and then on the Bay of Aqaba. So my dad had stories about heat that would just make you melt, no pun intended. And he always told me, take twice as much water as you think you're going to drink because you'll come home with none. Always keep the back of your neck covered, not your forehead. That's where you get heat stroke. And when you see a piece of shade as big as a napkin, get your head underneath it. (laughs) I like to walk. I like the exercise. But in this heat book a cart do yourself a favor bring some water i've got oranges in a bag when i go golfing i've got lots of water rent a power cart because you will wilt out there and then you'll wonder why did i even tee off on one power cart's a biggie obviously sunscreen sunblock common sense stuff but power cart's a good one you got that lid over you you know you've always got a little bit of shade even though it's hot so that's my advice as far as stay cool do you have your own favorite hot weather course 
I've played a lot of golf in very hot countries. I wouldn't say there's any golf course I really like when it's hot. I like 18 degrees Celsius with a breeze. Anything above 25, I'm a wilted flower. <laughs> I, I don't handle the heat well. But I've played lots of courses, uh, seaside courses, trial uh, in Montego Bay, Jamaica, palm tree line with that southern breeze coming off the Caribbean Sea is an incredible experience. I've played in Fiji at Royal Denarau. Any of those tropical areas, they're pretty nice if it's hot. If you ever watch golf on TV from an island, Puerto Rico or Cuba or wherever they are, it's always windy. Like if you ever book a golf holiday and go to Hawaii, expect it to be windy. It's a little <laughs> dimple of dirt in the middle of an ocean. You're going to get a breeze. So those are some of the places I've played that are nice on hot days. When I was a kid, there were times where we would play 54 holes a day. What's the most you've ever played in one day? Well, you could multiply 54 holes by every summer holiday day when I was a junior up in Prince George because my dad would drop me off when he was going to work at 730 and give me enough cheeseburger money to last till <laughs> 5.30. And some nights, if I just said I'm going to keep going, the pro who used to live near us would drop me off. And I have played 54 holes at least 100 times in my life. And I once played 45 holes in uh, northern England on January 1st. It was one degree. They had temporary greens that were like hitting a ball onto a skating rink. And we went around. And after every 18, we went in and had a bowl of stew and a hot beef drink called a bovril. And the four guys I was with, the three others, insisted we play and play and play as sort of a start to the year. So I've played 45 ice-cold holes, and I've also <laughs> played 54 continually up in Prince George as a young guy. And when you played those 54 holes, did you ever invent things like we're going to play this 18 with a 9-iron and a putter or anything like that? I've never played in a less than 14-club golf event. You know how mm. courses will have that fun night? This is just me. I'm not a grumpy guy, but <laughs> I want all those clubs, and that's why I golf. I mean, I did play snow golf in Prince George, and all you had was a big wooden club and a purple sponge golf ball so I guess that's my one single club event but uh, most of the time when I was younger I had some good buddies some of them I still keep in touch with if we played 54 holes we were a certain pro for the first 18 so you were Jack Nicholas. he was Lee Trevino that's the era he was Tom Weiskopf and I was Arnold Palmer and then how did those guys do and then you switch names and you kind of lived in that Walter Mitty fantasy world that you were some icon of golf trying to break 100. <laughs> What's the biggest difference in the equipment today from when you were a kid? I've got equipment in my garage, which is from the 60s. I'll buy it just for the look of it. You know, the cherry wood, uh, persimmon woods of the day. They're like little pieces of furniture. I also have a golf museum in my home, so I have a lot of stuff mounted, and a lot of it's older. And I have hickory-shafted clubs from Scotland from the 1890s, but those are more wall pieces. But obviously the biggest difference is the makeup of the club. You know, they still say he's hitting a three-wood or she's hitting a three-wood. There's no wooden clubs in golf. No manufacturer makes them. You'd have to have a furniture maker hand make you one. So metal, titanium, and graphite are the three biggest introductions into golf from the 60s and 70s to now. And then you have all these inserts on the face of putters made from different polymers. Most people aren't aware of this, but most of the components of the golf equipment came from the space industry. 
So graphite was a material made so rockets were lighter. So the fishing industry used it in fishing rods, and then the golf industry used it in graphite shafts. Titanium, again, strong metal, lighter than steel. That's the face on most clubs. So, yeah, when I look at what's available now and the size, I bought a 1965 Spalding wooden-headed one-wood beside my 460cc, that's the size, tailor-made driver, and I showed it to a new golfer who was coming to my place to get some used stuff, and I said, do you want something that your dad used or do you want something modern? And he was incredulous. He didn't even know what I was comparing. He goes, what are those? I go, those are the same club. They're called the driver, the number one. (laughs) The person just, they were aghast. I said, do you want this big, big head? Or do you want to try that, hit that ball with this little wee thing? Looks like a walnut on the end of a stick. <laughs> and we had a good laugh. The changes in equipment are quite obvious when you can hold two of them side by side. The interesting thing for me is, and, and I don't play much at all anymore, but I never, ever shot better scores with any modern equipment than I did with the old Spalding Elite set that my parents got me when I was 10 from Woolworths right? <laughs> and I had that for five or six years and I never ever put up better scores with anything other than that you you learn to hit it on a tiny tiny area well I think that's that's just a testament to somebody who learned with the equipment that was available then but what you really want to promote to people entering golf now is give them the biggest surface for the ball to be hit off of and focus less on a precision hit to the size of a fingernail and more of you've got a lot of golf face on your club. Don't worry about it hitting off the toe, heel, or the middle. Uh, how have the PQB courses managed to hold up during the pandemic? I don't want to suggest that I know any more than anybody else. You know, I have opportunities to chat with a superintendent or a GM that maybe just the regular golfer doesn't get that opportunity. And I can tell you, every golf course in our corridor from... You can just go from Victoria right to, I think there's a course called Three Hills way up in Port Hardy. All of them are maxed out on what their membership drive is. They've all sold out, basically. All of them, their green fee revenue is up. The byproduct of that is obviously we had these restrictions on being indoors, so revenue in food and beverage has gone down. Green fee revenue and membership revenue has gone up. And I wouldn't doubt if you looked at a profit and loss statement from just about every golf course they might even balance out one rose the other dipped and now they're sort of leveling back out when the pandemic is lifted and we're now allowed to pull the flag out clean your golf ball the touch aspect of the protocol is being lifted the saskatchewan golf association has lifted it parts of bc are already allowing you to do that along with that will be a percentage of people who just went i took up golf during the pandemic but I'm not staying with it. So that'll drop marginally, but it'll still be ahead of the game. More people will stay with golf. You know what it's like if you've hit a golf ball once well, if you get the bug, if you get the rush right on the first hit, you'll play. If it doesn't do anything for you, move aside, get a kayak and let someone else tee off. Finally, do you think Tiger Woods can return to championship level golf? Well, I used to write an article about 20 years ago in another city about how he would peak and then that would be it. And I also wrote (laughs) for our fine paper that he would never win another major. And there he won the 15th major at the Masters. So he proved me wrong and I'm certainly no expert on predicting. But here's what I can say about somebody who shatters your right leg the way he did. 
Now, he'll obviously have the best medical support in the world. The Sultan of Brunei will get no better treatment than him. He's a billionaire, so he'll have every modern expert looking at that right leg. The right leg's very important in golf. It's the pushing-off leg for a right-handed golfer. It has to be supported. If it's all pinned and painful, he's going to be limited in what he can do. But you know what? If there's any guy who's going to defy his body and all the experts and make some kind of comeback, it's Tiger Woods. People are relating it to the Ben Hogan story. Ben Hogan almost lost his life being hit head-on in a bus accident, came back, won three majors in the next two years. They said he played better. To compare Ben Hogan and Tiger Woods 70 years apart, I think somebody's really searching for the, a bigger story, and it's, it's not there. Ben Hogan was 145 pounds. Tiger Woods is built like a wide receiver in the NFL. There's no sense even talking about that. I hope he comes back because I like watching him. I like watching one of the greatest golfers, probably the most exciting golfer, pulling off the greatest shots ever. I like watching him, and I hope he comes back to play. If he doesn't, go to YouTube, punch in Tiger Woods highlights, sit back, grab a bowl of cheesies and a cold drink, and watch for three hours the best golf shots in the history of golf. Bill, great chat today. Thanks so much for joining us. Nice being here. Thanks a lot, Philip. I really like coming into the studio, and it's air-conditioned. <laughs> I didn't need to bring my fan. <laughs> That's this edition of PQ Beat, produced by the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, we would like to hear from you. You'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com. to you by Save-On Foods Parksville. Take advantage of great savings each week at Save-On Foods, like our unbelievable prices with Daryl's deals. And our Western family brand is always our lowest price, or it's free. Plus, redeem more rewards points for free items. Save-On Foods, three great ways to save every day.
Brought to you by Save On Foods Parksville. Save On Foods offers the highest quality selection of ocean-friendly seafood, delectable bakery cakes made with real whipped cream, and the freshest produce available, including a wide selection of organics and pre-cut fruits and vegetables. Discover more of what you want at Save On Foods.